It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there. But with all the current uncertainty, how do we know when and where to put our hard-earned money to work for us? It's easy to become distracted by that shiny object or the quote-unquote next best thing. So how do we determine which strategies will best align with our financial goals? Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with the insights and strategies to build our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Danny Nichols. And I'm Chris Thompson. This is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. Listen, if you're interested in passive real estate investing, but aren't sure how or where to get started, our passive investing guide walks you through the entire process from understanding the benefits to performing the due diligence. Download your copy today at twosmartassets.com and start taking action. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Nichols, and today our guest is Ken Gee. Ken is the founder and managing partner of KRI Partners and the KRI Group of Companies. He has more than 24 years of significant real estate banking, private equity transactions, and principal investing experience. Throughout his career, he has been involved in transactions valued at more than $2 billion, much of which has included the acquisition, management, and financing of various multifamily real estate projects. Ken, it's great to see you. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I know. We're honored to speak with you today. I've been waiting for this for a little while now. Very excited. You know, so we briefly touched on your bio, but to kick this thing off, Ken, I want to make sure our listeners know more about you. So please share with us a little bit more about your backstory and the events that basically led you to where you are today. Sure. Yeah. So I grew up in Toledo, Ohio, got my undergraduate from University of Toledo. Then I moved to Cleveland, got married, uh, went to school at night at Case, worked on my uh, uh, on my master's degree. While I was doing that, I was a commercial lender. So I spent five years as a commercial lender. Decided, well, actually during that time period, all my customers kept talking about real estate. They were making a ton of money in real estate. They wanted to buy the real estate. They had a company, but they wanted to buy the real estate. So, okay, well, I went and became an accountant. I worked for Deloitte for seven years, left the bank, went, went to work for Deloitte for seven years, spent seven years on the tax side, did a ton of private equity work, did a lot of tax planning, learned a lot. But what happened again? tons of clients. It was in the Cleveland office. They had all tons of real estate. Think of all the big real estate guys. A lot of them grew up in Cleveland. So the huge real estate practice, again, clients making tons of money in real estate. And at some point I just decided, you know what, I'm killing myself. I'm working 70, 80 hours a week. I go to work before the sun rises, come home after it sets, don't get to see my family. And I'm working for somebody else. I said, you know what, this, that was when I made that decision to buy my first apartment building in, uh, in Cleveland, a 28 unit apartment building near Shaker Square. And uh, that's, that really started it. And uh, so over the following maybe 10, 15 years, I spent most of the time in Cleveland. 10 or 15 years ago, I decided Cleveland's good, but I think Florida is much better because of the, the economic setup. So we started looking in Florida and now we've kind of transitioned our whole business into Florida. We manage about uh, just shy of 2000 units in Florida, we own several hundred, and uh, now we're primarily in Florida. So uh, that is really a fast forward through my uh, through my life, but it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. That's awesome, you know. And there's a lot of great stuff there, uh, especially that we can talk about. Um, and I want to talk about you know the experience you had before at your W two job. What aspects of that, or if any, have really helped you along make that transition into becoming an entrepreneur and starting your own real estate investing business? Yeah. So, well, what really helped me, I think, as I look back from today, the the accounting background, understanding finance, understanding numbers, I think that's huge. That is very valuable. 
understanding how lenders think, that's huge. That's really valuable because in the real estate business, lenders drive everybody nuts. Nobody understands why they're asking the questions they're asking, but I do understand it. So it actually makes it a lot easier. So those, you know, in terms of skill building, that was huge for me, right? I, at least I felt like it was. Um, in terms of, I, I would say the biggest driving force pushing me out of that W-2 job, and I didn't understand it as much at the time. It, it's really, it's really eye-opening when you stop being an employee for someone else and you start getting up every day having to answer to no one except your family and figuring out how this whole thing is going to come together. And there's really no rules. It, it's in your mind. It's whatever your mind's eye, whatever your mind wants it to be, whatever you can come up with is what you create. So that that shift was really eye-opening for me. It was huge because now looking back, you know, you're an employee, you're getting a W-2, but my my career my success, my financial future was always in everybody else's hands. And when you're in corporate America or when you're you're doing this, I mean, you you just make the wrong mistake. You make a mistake. It can really be devastating financially and and career wise. So so what that that I, I got very concerned about that, right? So I thought when I make this transition, my real goal was to stop working for someone else. What I now understand came out of that was just a whole new way of thinking that I would much rather be in charge of my own future in every aspect, right? Every single thing that we do, every mistake I make, every success I have, it's all on me. It's not, it's not anybody else's fault. I can't point to anyone else and say, oh, he didn't like me. She didn't like me. That's why I didn't do well in this company. That All those are gone. So it really was an eye-opening experience. And I have to tell you, I wouldn't go back to say to for anything. This is really, uh, I really enjoy building something that is now my own. You know, I'd love to hear that you found something that you truly enjoy, right? I mean, it sounded like the W-2 wasn't for you, but now you're doing something that you truly love. And I want to touch on something because, you know, there's, we know a bunch of people who are kind of getting in this entrepreneurial space that want to take something on their own, get out of the W-2. And you touched on something. You said, uh, you know, basically when you become an entrepreneur, you start something on your own. Uh, you don't have, you know, you're doing everything on your own, right? And, you know, when you're in your W-2, it's structured. You have to do this and this is what you're going to do and whatever. But, you know, as an, as an entrepreneur, or somebody who's running their own business, you have unlimited things you can do, right? And some like missing that structure, I, what I've talked uh, learned from a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, that can be an issue, right? You can run into issues because you're not really sure what to do, but there's a million things to do. So you basically, instead of getting, you know, your priorities done, you're basically getting nothing done. Really. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, no, that's very easy to have happen. It, I see it happen a lot. And it even happens to me sometimes. I'll show up at work, it'll be noon, and I'll look back and think, what did I do all morning? And you realize that you did like 17 different things, but you didn't really finish any one of them, right? So that's when you got to remind yourself, all right, wait a minute, this is about discipline. This is about taking the time to figure out, okay, where am I trying to take this? What is my real goal? And you know, you really have to live a goal-driven life. If you don't do that, you're you're just going to get off on all these tangents. You're going to get on all these rabbit holes that you shouldn't go down. I, I it happens to me if I'm not careful, and I see it happen all the time. So it it is truly about discipline. And I, I won't lie to you, it's a little bit scary, right? It's a little bit scary because when I get up in the morning, I don't know if I'm going to make any money that day, right? <laughs> if on day one you don't know. So uh, the other thing that I've sort of learned it 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 takes a special kind of personality to do it and to be used to the highs and the lows because you have big wins and you're in business and you have some big losses, right? 
and those that those times are devastating. You could you think of them as failures, but what they're they're not. You're actually learning so much from them because they're going to come. After a while, you understand that they're going to come. You understand that you're going to learn from each thing that you do, and whether you do it right, could you do it better? It so it's this constant evolution, this constant progress that you're on. But again, it goes right back to discipline. That's the number one thing that. Some people don't have the discipline, right? If you let them, they'll sleep till 11 or 12 every day. Well, that's probably not the person that should be the entrepreneur because they're going to probably go broke because you've got to be super driven, especially in the early years, because you're doing a lot more than you really should be doing as one individual. And it's only over time are you able to get that built out, your systems and your processes built out. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I love that you bring up discipline, right? Because that's probably the biggest thing, like you're saying, that's you, you got to have discipline and you got to have the right habits. If, you, if you've got the wrong habits established, it's going to be tough. You're going to have a tough time, right? I know, you know, I work a W2 job, but, you know, I'm trying to do the entrepreneurial thing as well. And you're absolutely right. If, if you don't have the discipline or the habits, it's easy. Like, I'm tired, you know, work, just work 12 hours in my W2 job. Well, if I'm not disciplined enough to go do this other thing too, well, then it's never going to work, right? It's the same thing for a full-time entrepreneur as well. You got to be disciplined. You got to have the right habits. You're, you're right. And what, what happens to, for me, at least, you see these little successes here and there. And what happens is over time, now I've been at this for a long time now, but over time you start to believe, wait a minute, I, I can solve just about any problem that we run up against. I can do this. And what I've actually learned, the biggest lesson I've learned through this process is that you are where you are because that's where you've decided you want to be. Now that's really convoluted, but what it means is you're only limited by what you've decided you want to do. Right. I decided that I want to do this. I decided that we want we I wanted to form an, a fund. I decided that I want to get in the real estate business and, you know, do 15 transactions. And I decided we wanted to do all these things. And so every time you have a little success, it's really motivating. Right. It's kind of like, remember the high, the, the highs that I talked about? You, you kind of get those endorphins from the highs and then you want it again. Right. You're like, OK, now I did that. Now I'm going to do more. And I'm going to do more. And it kind of built. It's really fun and exciting. I won't, I won't lie to you. It, is. it creates energy, right? Absolutely, if, man. If, Absolutely. If that's not what motivates you. You're done. Don't, don't. <laughs> that's right. You got to stay motivated, man. I love to hear that. Ken, you know, I want to, I want to dive into something real quick. I want to talk about yeah. KRI, your company. Can you tell us, I know we talked about a bit, a little bit about in your bio, but you know, I just want to go over it one more time. Tell us a little bit more about you and, and your company's focus. Sure. So we're, we only do multifamily. The reason we do multifamily is I can't find a lower risk real estate asset class. I can see a case where self-storage goes down, office space struggles, you know, all of the different types of uh, real estate spaces, right? But I can't figure a scenario where we don't need a place to live. So I like that. Then the other thing I like about multifamily is we're able to get really good results with our value add strategies, 15, 20, 30% plus annual returns, right? So if I can find a way to get 30% plus annual return, not at every deal, right? And it's not guaranteed, but if I can do that with a relatively low risk asset, that's a huge win for me. That's how I look at it. So that's why we like multifamily. Now our company is a vertically integrated real estate company. That means, so we do property management, we manage our own stuff and we manage stuff for other people. We do that for a lot of different reasons. It's, it's developing the network, developing our infrastructure, helps make sure that everybody stays busy. Um, but what it does is it's very supportive, right? So our, our investment side, we buy the deal. Our property management side, well, you know, we've got our, our senior management team has managed over 15,000 units, right? So we have huge experience. And we know 
that these deals, it's all about finding the deal, but it's also about executing that business plan. And we control every aspect of that whole uh, cycle, right? We buy, we execute the business plan, then we sell. So we're in control of the whole thing on purpose. And we're thrilled to be able to offer those same services, those same best practices, that same level of energy for our third-party managed clients as well, because some people, everybody invests in Florida from outside of Florida, and that's where we focus. So we're able to help others uh, do really, really well too. So that's kind of why we're structured the way we are. Um, and it really does work well for us. Yeah, I love to hear that. You know, so you guys are all in on these projects, you know, being vertically integrated. And I'm, I'm, thank you for explaining that. If uh, some of our listeners aren't familiar with that term, uh, you know, I think that's great that you guys are. And it's interesting because, you know, when I first got into real estate investing, I knew it was going to be a job, even though I was just managing a few single family rentals, right? That's, you know, mm -hmm. when I, how I started out. Yeah. And, uh, even though I still have some of those rentals, uh, I began investing passively in syndications because it was a better fit for my lifestyle. You know, I wanted the diversification. There are a number of reasons why I you know, started investing passively in syndications. But uh, mm -hmm. I think a lot of new investors run into a, a similar situation to find out that some real estate investing strategies are much less passive than they originally thought, right? Because even being vertically, I mean, it's a lot of work, right? You guys did a lot of work to get that all in place, those systems and stuff. It's a lot. Um so thank you for uh, recognizing that. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. But you know, I want to I want to get your opinion on something. What are your thoughts on the importance of investors like understanding strategies that best suit them before, you know, diving into it? You know, that that's huge. Because what you don't want to do is invest. You got to well first of all, you got to understand the the goals of the investment they're investing in. For example, value add strategies generally shorter term, probably a little higher returns, a little bit more risk, but you're expecting to turn those assets more often. If instead you have a long-term horizon, no, 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 I don't, I don't want any of the tax friction. I don't want any of the transaction costs. I'm going to put my money in a deal and let it sit there, refinance it, pull my money out. It's a non-taxable event. I, I still own the asset. Now I'm getting paid on an asset that I really probably haven't, I don't have anything left in. I go take that money and I go do it again, right? Those are two completely different business plans, completely different investment objectives, and you pursue completely different assets for those types of plans. And so what you want to understand as a passive investor is, what is it that you really want? Some people love those quick hits. They love to see the profits. They love to see that big check come back. I, I don't know why, that's just what they like that, right? And we have a value add fund. And, and you know what? I have to tell you, as a sponsor of, the, of our fund, when we write somebody a huge check, it feels really good. It really feels good that you're really making a difference in somebody's life. Now, the, the, the longer term guy or gal, they're, they're willing, you know, they, they know that they're on a long term mission to build long term wealth for their for themselves and their family. And that's the most efficient way to do it, because now you're not having all the transaction. Cost. I call it friction. No more transaction costs. You don't have all the all the tax hit every time you sell an asset. You don't have you know, it's hard to do 1031s in a in a syndication or on a fund environment. It's very, very hard to do. It's not impossible, but it's harder. So most people try to try to stay in those assets and then just own them longer term and 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 you build massive wealth that way, right? I mean, once you get your money back, you have infinite returns now on that. So yeah, I, I do want people to make sure they spend the time to really understand what their goals are. Because when you get the mismatch is when you have an unhappy investor and a sponsor-investor relationship doesn't go well because the sponsor's trying to do one thing and you suddenly have realized that's not what you want. You want something else. And once you're together, you can't uncouple that until you sell the asset or you find someone else to buy your interest, which most 
funds and most indications don't allow free transferability of interest. So you're kind of once you're together, you got to stay together. So homework up front is really important. Absolutely. Very important. I, I do want to touch more on that. But before we get into that, I have a question. So, you know, mm-hmm. uh, many of our listeners are familiar with passive investing and syndications, but the idea of a fund may be a new topic for some investors. And I want to make sure everyone is on board here. So can you describe what a fund is and how that method benefits your investments and ultimately uh, the passive investor, maybe? Sure. So to understand a fund, what you want to understand is a syndication. So a, a syndicator at a high level goes out, finds the deal, convinces the seller to lock it up with him or her, puts probably puts some money down and starts due diligence. Then they go raise the money from family, friends, past investors, whatever it is. Then they then they raise the money. They usually have a short window of time, usually 45, 60 days to raise that money. So if you're the sponsor, it gives you a lot of gray hair if you're the syndicator, right? Because <laughs> so, you've got to raise that money. And if you don't, you're going to lose your money. So it's a big deal. So then you close and, and the deal moves on and you get a set of investors that uh, knew what asset it was they were buying. And that's they they, they made the, uh, uh, the decision to invest specifically in that asset. So deal first, then money. Now, in the fund world, we flip it around. I'll tell you why why we do this in a minute. But in a fund, we go out and raise the money first. Okay, Mr. and Mrs. Investor, this is the type of deal we do. We're going to do a value-add, BC-class asset, Central Northern Florida. Um, it's going to be plus or minus 100 units. We're going to have a three to five hold year period. Does that fit what you're trying to do? Take a look at us as a firm. See if you understand our experience. You're comfortable with that. And so you give it, it's actually called a blind pool fund is the generic term. You give us a commitment up front that, okay, our minimum commitment's a hundred grand. So you commit a hundred grand to our fund. We'll go out and buy the assets. We're going to stick with our investment plan. We're not going to go off and buy self-storage right? Because that wouldn't, that's not what we told you we were going to do. Sure. We're going to buy what we said. And then you then get to invest in those assets. So you lose control over which assets um, specifically, you know, one, two, three Main Street, right? You don't know exactly which asset it is up front. But here's, here's what's important. Investors get a little bit of diversification because they get more than one asset in that fund. You generally have a more experienced sponsor because it's harder to raise money when you don't have a deal, right? Typically people newer in this business would be a syndicator, sure. fund managers, it just takes more experience because it's it, it just is the comp, the, the accounting's more complicated, lots of things are more complicated. But so, so you get a lot of benefits as an investor. Now here's why we did it. We did it because we buy in central and Northern Florida. And I think the whole planet knows that's extraordinarily competitive. So when we're in the plus or minus hundred unit space, who are we competing with? Syndicators. Right. So when we approach a seller, Mr. Seller, he's a syndicator. He's going to try to go out and raise the money. Mr. Seller, we already have raised the money Mm -hmm. and we're more experienced and we're more efficient because we've been doing it a lot longer. So we have just uh, just a, a structural advantage over other buyers. That's the real reason we did the fund, not because we wanted to have bragging rights that we raised the fund. It was because it's an easier way to get a deal in a competitive environment. And so far it's, it's proven to be the absolute right thing to do in this market. 
Well, I love to hear you guys are headed in the right direction. And I want to say thank you for explaining that. I know some of our listeners will, or our listeners will be able to take a lot away from that, myself included. Um, and, and it sounds like there's a lot of benefits to that strategy as well, especially in a competitive market like Central and Northern Florida, like you're talking about, which is obviously a great market right now. So uh, uh, yeah, thank you for explaining that. And you know, you hit on a couple of things there that I think are really important, especially the passive investors. And you know, you know, this is important as well. But you know, due diligence, right? Whether it's it's you know, you're having that initial due diligence as a passive investor, but it really goes both ways, right? You're doing a uh, passive investor is doing due diligence on a syndicator and a syndicator needs to do the same with um, a passive investor. But, you know, in terms of passive investing, what are some due diligence tips investors can utilize uh, when looking into, you know, place capital with a real estate investing firm such as yourself? Yeah. So we, we talked about the first one and sure. that is you want to make sure you, that your goals and their goals are the same and you got to make sure they're lined up. If you don't, you're going to be sorry. The second thing I would do is look at track record. Now, um, I have nothing to do with this company, but it's a company that I learned about maybe a year ago now. It's called Veribest. Okay. B-E-R-I-B-E-S-T. The yes. reason I like them is their job is to vet sponsors like me. Now, what does that mean to vet? They, I had to send them 20, of course, I had to pay them a lot of money to do this, but I had to send them 23 years of tax returns, settlement statements, operating agreements, bank statements. I sent them, they verified every single buy and sell that we had. They also did a public record search to try to find deals that I didn't tell them about because that's what people will do. If they if a deal tanked on them, well, you don't have to tell the world about that. Well, they go and find those deals, right? right. Very important. Right. And they ran a full criminal background check on me, SEC check, and they monitor our funds going forward, right? So now our track record is there for everybody to see, all 23 years of it, every buy, every sell, you know everything. And um, it's, it's vetted. It's vetted. Somebody went out there and verified it, right? Really important stuff. Right. Um, so track record. The third thing is experience. We've been, so if I've been around 23 years, that means I went through 08, 09. That means I've gone through the pandemic. That means that I've gone through some rough times, right? right. And every time you go through one of those rough times, it, it just makes you a lot better. It helps you understand what can go wrong. And it just makes you a smarter senior management team because that's what experience brings to the investment table. These are apartments. Nobody ever thinks of these as businesses, but that's what they are. Absolutely. They got employees, marketing, sales, uh, expenses, main. I mean, everything. Think about any business, apartment. the apartment business has all of those things. Same exact stuff. It just happens to be an apartment or in apartments. So what you want is a senior management team that has been around the block and that can help you navigate difficult waters, right? I mean, was anybody really pre-planning for a pandemic in the apartment world? No chance, right? <laughs> <laughs> no chance of that happening. So you, or was anybody planning for a financial disaster like 08 and 09? I don't know if you were following it, but it was rough. So right. what happens is you have to have a senior management team that can really has enough experience to navigate. Well, okay, if we do this, what's going to happen? And, and really figure out the right way to navigate these things. And we changed in a big way, many of our operating procedures to, to navigate the pandemic. And as a result, I mean, we, we came through it just fine. 
Yeah. And I think it's amazing. And you touch on, those are, you know, the three most important parts really for passive investors when it comes to due diligence on a sponsor, right? And I love that you bring that up, especially the track record and the experience. I do want to get your opinion on something else in terms of, you know, just, just during that process. And that's the communication, right? And I think a lot of times, especially with newer investors, things can be missed, you know, or not communicated effectively, especially when someone is new, right? To syndications. And, uh, you know, as a passive investor, we want to feel comfortable with information we've received from the sponsor, right? That's that's obviously very important, right? Because, you know, as, as a new investor, maybe you don't know what questions to ask, or maybe you're afraid to ask them a few questions, but, you yes. know, and obviously that varies from investor to investor, you know, some, some investors just need a, a solid referral from a friend, you know, that they've invested with you and they're like, okay, that's fine. That's good enough. While some other investors won't do a, a deep dive into, you know, into the due diligence, but, Either way, it's important for passive investors to get the information they need before placing capital. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on why uh, that's so important and maybe any stories you have from experience with dealing with passive investors. Yeah. So so why is it important that they, are, uh, ask, uh, that they ask the questions? Well, let me just say this. Because we've I've talked to so many passive investors, I can sense that some people, they're just not sure what the line is. Where is the line? where they're asking appropriate questions and not appropriate questions, right? They're concerned about offending somebody else. And you got to respect that because that means they have character, right? They want to treat people fairly, respectfully and everything else. So the number one thing I see is people are trying to find that line, you know, and I heard a lot of people will apologize for the questions that they ask me. And I, I don't ever want them to do that. They should ask me anything they can think of, anything, right? And I, I should be willing to answer it. So, I would say to passive investors, don't be afraid to ask a question. If you don't understand something, if you don't, for example, understand what an accredited investor is, if you don't understand well, what is a B or C asset, what's the difference? How do you know? If you don't understand it, ask. It's okay, right? Because if that person's not willing to explain it to you prior to you investing, after they have your money, do you think you're going to get good communication? Probably not, right? Now, I'm not suggesting that investors should call their sponsors every day, right? You can't do that because that the sponsor can't function like that. I mean, I you, you know that that goes back to what's appropriate, what's not. So you know, in the in the real estate world, when we report, we report quarterly, we report rent roll, financial statement, balance sheet, and you know, there's some passive investors that'll call you and say, "Hey, I don't understand this stuff. Can we just go over it?" And I'll walk them through it. Okay, this is what's important. This is why I think this is important. This is why I think that's important. And we also include a narrative, right? It tells you in layman's terms how many vacant are they going to lease. You know, what's going on? What are the rents now? What are we trying to get to? What, how's the project going? How's the renovation project going? What's what's happening next? So all of that communication, I think, is critical. But the number one thing that I wish people would do, and that is be more diligent in their vetting, because so many times people are just afraid to do it because they're afraid of looking bad or they're afraid of crossing that line. And I just think that that's a dangerous thing because there's so many things going on that if you don't bother to ask, then when it's not going the way you thought, you're kind of stuck then, right? It's too late. And it's not that the sponsor necessarily tried to misrepresent. It's hard for us as sponsors and fund managers to know what's in your mind unless you tell us, right? And we've had that. I've, you know, I've had conversations where I'd say, you know what, I'm all about what you're trying to do with your financial future, but it doesn't fit this fund. So stand by, we have another fund coming. You'll probably be right for that one, but this one you're not. And here's why right? Because that's the right thing to do. But if I don't take the time to figure out what that investor is trying to understand and trying to do with their life, 
then I don't even know that. And I want the investor to do the same thing. Does that make sense? Absolutely, Ken. You're spot on there. I love hearing that. And I love to hear your piece about, you know, the kind of um, communications you guys give, you know, quarterly and, you know, the narrative and stuff like that. I think that's fantastic. And I think that, you know, what I've learned from from passive investing is, is really is you want to make sure that the communication style that you, the sponsor is providing is something that's going to align with what you need. Right. And I think that a good, a good tip for some past investors is when you're talking to a sponsor, maybe when you're, you're thinking about placing capital with ask them for a, you know, a past communication or example communication, see what that mm-hmm. looks like. So you can, you see if it kind of fits with your style and like, okay, I really appreciate that, that much information. I'm going to love to see that every month or quarter or whatever. So I think that's a, that's great. And I love that you brought up, you know, uh, just how important that communication is. But, you know, Ken, this has been a great conversation. Really have enjoyed getting to learn more about you and your story. But before we get out of here, we want to take some time and shine the spotlight on you, sir. So tell us more about KRI and anything else we have going on. Sure. So all, all I want to talk about, and this, this book couldn't be more on point with what we've been talking about. Perfect. I wrote a book. It's called Multifamily Real Estate is a Total Game Changer. It's easy to get. First of all, it's free. Secondly, KRI proper, excuse me, KRIpartners.com slash ebook. Easy to remember, KRIpartners.com slash ebook. Now, I wrote the book for two reasons. It covers two topics, and this is dead on. The first question is the number one question that everybody faces in this business. And that is, they know there's a ton of money to be made in real estate because they know people are making it. They're just trying to figure out how does it fit in their life, right? Sound familiar? Sound exactly like what we've been just talking about. So I take the reader through this process of, okay, should I buy a duplex? Should I buy a single family? Should I buy it myself? Should I try to buy an apartment building? Maybe, what? okay, maybe I should. Okay, what about medical? What about self-storage, right? I go through this whole process because the sky's the limit when you start this process and you're trying to figure, something's going to fit in your life. So I take you through that process. Now, the second half of the book, makes the assumption, like you've probably concluded for yourself, that most people have really good day jobs, right? I've had physicians that try to tell me they want to quit and become a real estate investor. Time out. <laughs> you're a physician. Stop. Because you're really smart. Let's, let's, let's not give that up. Instead, be a passive investor. You can still create massive wealth as a passive investor. Tons, right? Like Absolutely. 15, 20, 25% annual returns. That's good. So what I do is exactly what we just talked about. I give you some insights into the business. How does this, how do, how do fund managers operate? What makes them tick? Why do they do what they do? What is super important to them? How do you tell if they're growing? Um, same thing with syndicators. So I try to give you some guidance as to how you vet sponsors and syndicators. Because again, the long-term health of this whole private money um, process, this, this industry that's growing up and has since 2012, since the Job Act, is 100% dependent on people having successful relationships in these. Because that's what it really is. It's putting two people together. It's not buying something on a New York Stock Exchange, right? Where it's very impersonable. This is, you know, two people getting together to do a deal and does it fit? So it's that sponsor vetting process that I think is key. And so hopefully this book helps somebody, you know, get through that process, feels more comfortable doing it and uh, understanding that it is the right thing to do. So it's kripartners.com slash ebook. That's how you get it. It's free. The only thing I ask for is your email and your name and uh, 
and then of course you're in our email list. So if, if uh, you don't want to get our email, it's unsubscribe, but at least you've had a chance to read the book. So there you go. That's fantastic, Ken. We're going to make sure to put that in the show notes. So anybody can go check that out. And I highly recommend if you're looking to get into passive investing, or maybe you're already a passive investor, but want to find out about more what uh, Ken's company is doing, go get this resource. It's going to be a great resource for you uh, and you're going to love it. So check that out. Ken, just want to say thank you for coming on the show today. It's been, it's been great talking with you. Well, thank you. It's been great being here. I really enjoyed it. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. Head over to iTunes to subscribe to the show. And while you're there, we really appreciate you leaving a rating and written review. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear on the show, connect with us on social media or through our website at twosmartassets.com. We look forward to speaking to each and every one of you. Talk to you soon.